Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We're wrapping up our Name Changer series this weekend, and we've spent the last month plus talking about, we started with a man named Jacob, who had his name changed by God to Israel. And then the first words out of his mouth after God changed his name were, can you please tell me your name? And we talked about who God is so that we could talk about who God says you are because you can't understand who you are if you don't understand the one in whose image you were made, right? Now this weekend, we're talking about you becoming a name changer. You. I'm gonna read you a story. If you've got a Bible, open up to Genesis 35 and put a marker in 2 Corinthians 13. We're gonna talk about a moment in Jacob, now Israel's life, with one of his wives and one of his sons. And what I wanna do in this message is describe a room where anything can happen. With all of my heart, I believe that God wants to use you to do with some people in your life whom you love, the same thing God used Israel to do with his son, Benoni. But there are some things that have to be in the room. If holy moments, as a dad, here's what I desire. I desire that when I'm with my children and God wants something holy to happen, that I can be the one to steward it in that room. That's what I desire. But there's some things I need to constantly be walking in if I'm ever going to experience a room where holy, life-changing things can happen. The title of this message is The Changing Room. The Changing Room. Genesis chapter 35, starting in verse 16, says, Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die. But with her last breath, she named the baby Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, once Jacob, now Israel, however, called him Benhamin, which means son of my right hand. I don't want you just to read or hear this story. I want you to really feel the weight of it. Rachel has been begging God for babies. She got pregnant after her sister Leah, whom it appears she was very competitive with. Leah got married first, Leah got pregnant first, and we see through scripture that Rachel had a very big problem with all of this. She'd been begging God. Now she's pregnant with a second baby. She's Israel's favorite wife. He had multiple wives, but I'm not going to talk about that. That's a different message. And with her dying breath, and an extremely excruciating delivery of this baby, she looks at the boy and she curses him. By saying, here's your name. You'll forever be known as the son of my sorrow. And then she died. And then you have Israel, who was once Jacob, who's seeing his favorite wife die. And before he even grieves his favorite wife, 
What does he do? As one who has had his name changed, he knew this was a moment he had to step into and do something holy with. So he looks at the boy. His favorite wife just died. And he says, that is not your name. Your name is never going to be Benoni, son of your mother's sorrow. Your name will forever be Ben-Hamin, son of your father's strength, son of your father's right hand. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Benoni every birthday when he blew out his candles? If every year on his birthday, everyone is celebrating his birth, but his name reminded everyone of his mother's death. Can you imagine being that kid? Oh, you're the one that killed your mother. And Israel, because he had experienced the name change, faithfully and obediently stepped into the moment, removed the label, and ascribe the name. I want to show you, there are four points in this message. I want to show you one thing that cannot be in the changing room if, if what's going to go down is solely in three things that must be present. Here's point number one. The changing room isn't full of man's fleshly, fickle feelings. This point is brought to you by the letter F. <laughs> Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Remember, that's where feelings come from and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I wanna show you two things, because if there's anything I learned going through COVID, it's that many of us don't know how to steward our feelings. And it also appears as though many of us know how to be led by our feelings, which is never a good thing. Feelings are indicators, not leaders. I want to show you two things so that if God desires to use you in a changing room where anything can change, I want to show you two things so that just in case you might be feeling some kind of way, you don't ever get in God's way. All right. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Just because you feel it doesn't make it fact. Proverbs 28, verse 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a what? It's not a trick question. A fool. Anybody want to be a fool? If you would like to be a fool, trust everything your heart feels and call it a fact. Whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Here's the way I want you to see this. Feelings are real. I don't want to minimize your feelings. So if you're a feeler, I'm a feeler. I don't want to minimize your feelings. But I do want to remind you, while feelings are real, they're not reality. And I can prove it to you very easily. Remember when you were like four or five years old and you were trying to fall asleep one night and you, you had this thought that there was a monster under your bed or a monster in your closet? Anybody besides me ever have that thought? Okay, let's just celebrate one another, okay? Mommy, daddy, there's a monster under my bed. Okay, what did we all learn after navigating that night? The feeling, fear, is very real. 
but the furry monster isn't. Some of us have the ability to take something that isn't real and fixate, it, fixate on it so much so that it becomes our reality. The monster isn't real. But if you are led by the feeling of fear, you can make any fake monster feel absolutely real. Just because you feel it doesn't make it fact. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you should let it fly. Proverbs 29 verse 11, a fool vents all his feelings. How come it says his and not her? I'm just wondering. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where it escalated really quickly? And it just went, and then at the end, they said something like this to you. Well, I was just being honest about how I felt. Don't raise your hand, okay? Because you might be sitting next to the person who did this. It just escalates. Well, I was just being honest about how I felt. No, you weren't being honest. You were being unrestrained with your emotion. Here's what you have to remember if that's ever been you. Unrestrained emotion isn't honesty. It's immaturity. It's just emotional immaturity, not honesty. If you live according to your feelings, like Rachel did, you'll curse people just because you're cranky. Ever known somebody like this? They just woke up on the wrong side of bed. You didn't even do anything. And they just come into the office cranky as a mug. And if they are led by their feelings, what will they do throughout the day? They're not going to bless people. They're going to curse people. Just because they're cranky? All that is is evidence of an emotionally immature human who has made the choice to be led by their feelings. Rachel, even though she was dying, she had an opportunity. This could have been one of those movie moments where with her last breath, she pronounces the hottest blessing on this baby boy, saying, I have begged God for you. I will not cry about losing my own life. I will celebrate the fact that God is giving you life. Son, go take over the world. But because she was so led by her feelings, she cursed him. When you are led by your feelings, you will curse people far more than you bless them. I personally think that one of the reasons it was so easy for Rachel to do this is because of the way she saw herself. If you read through Rachel's story, you see that, that she had some, some issues. She was extremely competitive with her sister. But think about this, why? If you know the story at all, her husband fell in love with her before they were married and was so willing to marry her, so in love with her, that when Rachel's father Laban said, you need to work seven years for her. He said, yeah, I'm down. Let's go. Problem is Laban tricked Jacob. He had to work 14 years for Rachel. Men, have any of you <laughs> had to work 14 years to marry your wife? Oh, we got one that raised his hand. <laughs> 14 years. He proved his love for Rachel 
by working 14 years for her. She was so loved, but I don't think she loved herself as much as her husband loved her. Because she was constantly, when we see in scripture, she was being negative about her situation. I don't have this. So-and-so has this. I don't have this. Okay, here's the problem with that. If you see you through a negative lens, it's going to affect the way you see the rest of us. I'll say it like this. When the mirror you use to see you is negative, the lens you'll use to see others is guaranteed to be negative. And in fact, oftentimes more negative. I really think one of the reasons it was so easy for Rachel to curse her son is because there were probably many days she looked in the mirror and cursed herself. I'm not pregnant, what does that make me? I'm still not pregnant, what does that make me? I'm the one who can't get it done. I'm the one who's not blessed. I'm the one with the cursed womb. There was a lot of negativity. I think that's why it was so easy for her to do what she did with her son. Now let's talk about three things that must be present if we're going to be a part of these holy environments where God can use us to change someone's life. Here's the first thing. Point number two, the changing room is filled with the grace of Jesus Christ. Let me read this to you. These three things are found in 2 Corinthians 13. So if you put a marker there, I want you to see this in scripture because I did not connect 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, the last verse in the letter uh, to the church in Corinth here. I didn't connect this. I felt like the Lord did. Watch this. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All three of these things, I believe, are what I need. If I'm going to be used by God the way Israel was to step into the lives of the people I love in holy moments in time and be used by God to steward them for the good of the people I love. These are the three things right here. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Let me try and, and give you perspective on grace by teaching you what justice, mercy, and grace are so that you have a comprehensive perspective. Justice is when I get what I deserve. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. And grace is when I do get what I don't deserve. Are you following? Let me try and illustrate this, all right? Let's say I'm driving home after church today and a police officer pulls me over. What is justice? If I'm going 22 miles an hour over the speed limit on the 101, justice says the police officer comes to my window and says, uh, sir, do you realize you were 22 miles over the posted speed limit? Yes, sir, I'm so sorry, I, I was distracted. He writes me up a ticket. That's justice. I got what I deserve, right? What is mercy? He comes to the window and he says, Pastor Preston. <laughs> do you know you were going 22 miles over the posted speed limit? And I say, I'm so sorry. I was still focused on the sermon I just preached. <laughs> Not that I would ever do this. This is a hypothetical situation. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to let you off with a warning. That's mercy, right? I don't get what I do deserve. What is grace? Well, in this scenario, grace would be the police officer comes to the window and says, Pastor Preston, why are you going so fast? You're 22 miles over the speed limit. And I said, you know what? I, I was distracted. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get home. Here's what grace says. The police officer says, 
Well, let me just give you a police escort home and you can continue 22 miles an hour over the posted <laughs> speed limit. That would be awesome. That's grace. I know it's a little silly, but I just want you to see the difference between justice, getting what I do deserve, mercy, not getting what I do deserve, and grace, getting what I don't deserve. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear it. Colossians 4 verse 6 says, Preston, let your speech always be gracious. With your words, Preston, give people what they don't deserve. Give your children what they don't deserve. Can you imagine a parent who parents only according to justice? Some of you are like, yeah, I grew up with it. <laughs> but never mercy and grace. If all I do with my sons is show them justice, here's what will probably happen. Once they can move out, they'll rarely come back. but mercy and grace, not giving them what they do deserve and giving them what they don't deserve. Scripture says, Preston, here's how I want you to use your mouth. Always give, be giving people what they don't deserve. Here's what I've learned about ungracious and gracious speech. Ungracious speech makes a worthy person feel unworthy. Gracious speech makes an unworthy person feel more worthy. One of the easiest ways to extend grace is to remember how much you need grace. Because this is the problem. People who don't extend grace, there's usually only two reasons why someone won't extend grace. They either don't understand grace or they don't think they need grace. When you don't think you need grace, you'll never extend it. There's a word for that. It's self-righteous. Someone who thinks I'm good enough on my own. We talked about this last week. We're the righteousness of God in Christ as followers of Jesus. My righteousness isn't good enough. There's no such thing as my righteousness. It's filthy rags compared to Christ Jesus' righteousness. One of the best ways to extend grace is to remember how much you need it. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us, not them, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we, not they, we, including me, may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The more you understand your need for grace, the more you're known for extending grace. Here's point number three, the second thing found in the changing room. The changing room is saturated with the love of God. This one's fun. John 13, 34, Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. This is gangster right here. Remember last week, I gave you the one-liner, as God loves God, God loves you. Remember that? Okay, let me give you the rest of the one-liner. This is what Jesus is teaching us. As God loves God, God loves you. As God loves you, you love them. Followers of Jesus Christ are meant to be known for loving others the way God loves them. What kind of a parent would I be 
if my children felt the love of God coming through me, that I so received the love of God for me that it completely impacts and affects the way I love everybody else in my life. Here's a really hard question. Do the people you love the most look in your direction and say, here's the way I would describe your love. The same way God loves you, you love me. That's a tall order. Yet that's what we're called to, to love the way he loves us. Two things I want to show you just about love so that you can be better at loving the people in your life. First, love must be communicated. Love must be communicated. Unexpressed love isn't love at all. First Peter chapter four, verse eight says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Ephesians 3.18, describing the love of God. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. What is the depth of love? What is deep love? Here's what I would say. Love which is described, not just expressed. I have a lot of people every weekend say, I love you, Preston. I love you, Pastor Preston. Love you so much. People will say that on the way out. And I love it. It's very sweet. But if with my wife I took that same approach, that all I ever did was say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I never told her why. In my opinion, that's not descriptive love. I've told you before, when I did the seven-day survival guide, that one of the things I learned about myself is at least once a week, I need one person in my home to stop me, hug me, hold me, and tell me one reason why they love me. Don't just tell me you love me. I'm surrounded by people who say that. And that's great and all. You really want to ring my bell? Tell me one reason why. This is descriptive. Describe why you love your wife. Don't just say, I love you, honey. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying don't stop there. What would it be like if every day of my children's life, I didn't just tell them, I love you, bud. But I say one reason why. If you're a teenager, you want to ring your parents' bell? The next time you tell your mother you love her, give her one reason why she's never heard you utter before. She may fall on her face. Why? Because we were created not just to need to hear the words, I love you. We were created to understand why you love me. Tell me why. His book is a book filled with him saying, I love you. I love you. But he doesn't stop at those three words. He's going to spend eternity telling you why. He loves you. Love must be communicated. Here's the second thing. Love must be demonstrated. You ever heard that phrase, talk is cheap? You ever heard that before? That's such a lie. Talk is not cheap. I understand what people mean. Just talk is cheap. But when you talk, it's actually not cheap. It's actually incredibly expensive. Because the more you communicate, the more you must demonstrate. 
There's nothing worse than somebody who talks a big game but can't back it up. See, I used to, when I was younger, talk a really big game. And then I learned when you talk a big game, everybody expects you to back it up. So what did I start doing? I stopped talking so much. Because <laughs> I learned I couldn't back it up to the level I could talk. Right? Okay, when we talk about loving, love which is just described, is, it's good, but it's not the best. Love that is demonstrated is even better than love which is described. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than to lay his life down for his friend. Jesus said, here's the best kind of love, the prove it kind of love, the demonstrate it kind of love. God demonstrated his love for us. Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 18, for us, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. If you don't show me you love me, it's hard for me to believe you when you tell me you love me. I understand Benjamin was just born. And so there, there hadn't even been time for Israel to demonstrate his love. But I submit to you, this is what he did for the rest of this baby's life. Here's how you know, because the first chance he got, he demonstrated love. He looks at the boy and he says, I won't stand for this. I love you too much for you to live beneath this lie. This is not who you are. That's a label. Let me tell you your name. That's how love talks. He demonstrated it in the moment that day. You have people all around you who don't think they deserve your love. I guarantee you, you have at least one person close to you who doesn't think they deserve your love. You may not even see it. If you don't demonstrate your love for them, you're actually making it easier for them to perpetuate this narrative, which is a lie, that they don't deserve your love. But when you show them, they feel it. Don't let them just hear it. Make the people you love feel your love and not just on birthdays and at Christmas time. Every day, send them texts that they don't just hear with their ears. Send them texts that render them speechless. You want to be used by God the way Israel was in a holy moment? You got to spend thousands of moments demonstrating your love so that you can step into that moment and possibly do a really hard thing that changes the rest of their life. How do you love the people you love? Do you love them the way God loves you? If not, in 2023, we got a good goal. I want this next year of my life to be a year where the people I love the most say, Daddy loves me the way God loves him. That brings us to the fourth point. This is my favorite one. The changing room is pregnant because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember, and we've talked about this in this series, as children of God, we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell on the inside of us. 
And I felt this week as I was preparing for this message, the Lord challenged me, reissue a challenge that I've been getting throughout my life since I gave my life to Jesus. Preston, if your body is my temple, that means when people come into your presence, they better be encountering my presence. Here's the short one-liner way to say it. Preston, this is one of the highest goals on your life as a child of God. When they get you, they get me. One of the things you're going to find me doing more in the years to come is pushing you to prophesy more. That might make some of you a little angsty, but I want you to see where I get it from. It's right out of scripture. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is a message from God through a child of God. It's that simple. It can happen at the grocery store. It can happen at the family dinner table. It can happen in your cubicle. It can happen in meet and greet. Every child of God is a hearer of God's voice. And one of my favorite things to do is to get a message from the Lord for someone else. I love it. And I love it when it happens to me. Think about it like this, because maybe you think, well, I'm not a pastor or I'm not this or that. And so I'm probably never going to prophesy. Paul says, everybody should seek to prophesy and all can prophesy. He also says by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, every child of God can prophesy. Anyone who is dwelled in and hears of can prophesy. When people come to meet with me, you know, one of the things I've learned in my 22 year career in this line of work, they're not actually coming to meet with me. They want to hear from God, not from me. An idea from my brain can't save their marriage. But a word from the CEO of the universe can alter their entire lives. When people encounter you, I have a question for you. Do they encounter God? If you're going to be used the same way Israel was to step into this holy moment and steward it better than anybody else, you better be pregnant with the presence of the Holy Spirit. So much so that when people encounter you, they encounter him. When people get you, they get him. This is not rocket science. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you hear God's voice, do not be at all surprised if every once in a while God speaks to you to speak to somebody else on his behalf. This is what he does. This happened for me a couple weeks ago. I was up under it a little bit. A lot of plates spinning, a lot going on, taking some shots from the enemy and it was late one night I was still up here and I was in my prayer room I was laying on my face before the Lord and I I heard my heart just say I need to talk to Timmy my best friend 
And I don't know if you're like this, but as soon as I heard my heart say it, I heard my brain start to give all the reasons why I shouldn't call him. Ah, he's busy. He's got a lot going on. His podcast is blown up. But he's busy. Just let him be. So I didn't call. You know, one of the things I love about God, he listens to everything that comes out of your heart, good and bad. I walk out of my prayer room about 20 minutes later, and wouldn't you know, my phone rings, and it's my best friend. I answered the phone and I said, I need you right now. And I usually don't start our calls like that. Those words kicked him into a mode and I could hear it in the tone of his voice. He knew we had just stepped into a room where some things were about to change. And my best friend who I trust, who I know for a fact pursues the heart of the God of the universe, stepped into this room with me where God was present and in an hour and a half gave me two prophetic words and a word of knowledge that I will not just look upon, but I will hold on to over the next 25 years of my life. I was crying, he was crying, it was holy. But I was reminded of something that day. Holy moments don't just happen in the moment. When God prepares you, this is how you know. I don't know all the chapters my best friend had been gorging himself upon. I don't know how much time he'd spent, but I'm telling you, when somebody can hear the words, I need you right now, and step into a holy moment and be used by the God of the universe, to help change the next 25 years of my life, you know, you know, they've privately been preparing to be stewarding holy moments like that. This is what I want for you. That when one of your children, when your husband, when your wife, when someone at work in a tough spot, when somebody you love calls you and says, I really need you right now. Heaven opens up. The God of the universe speaks to you and you are able to prophesy by the Holy Spirit. Your name is not Benoni, Preston. Your name is Benhamin. This is one of the calls on your life as a Christ follower. God wants to use you in moments like this but you're never gonna be able to just walk into them. You have to spend all of your life preparing to steward them with the grace of Jesus Christ, with the love of the Father, and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.